Yeah, about to, as Dialan said, uh, jump into a series of uh, six messages, the stories that Jesus told. Uh, six, six messages, we're going to be looking at six of the stories that Jesus told, which are all going to answer a question. And uh, this morning's question is, what is your treasure? And uh, over these six weeks, we really want to blow your minds with these stories that Jesus told. We want to grow in our amazement for Jesus Christ and our confidence in who He is as He answers the questions that are kind of inside each one of these stories, these parables. You know, Jesus, when He taught, He loved to teach in parables. It's the the, the dominant way that he taught. And while teaching through stories and parables, Jesus was doing something very clever. He was activating what we would call today like the search engine in our minds. He, he would tell a story in such a way that it was a real-life situation, something that was familiar, something that you had seen before, something that you could connect with. And he would tell a story which would have a spiritual significance or would, would, would either ask a question or would answer a question. And he told these stories in such a way that he kind of grabbed, he hooked your attention by having something in the story that was both familiar and something that was unexplained. He would have something that was strange or vivid, and then he would often doubly hook our attention by not fully explaining the very story that he had just told. And so Jesus often would activate the search engine of our mind by leaving us with this question, what does this mean? And so he would tell a story, but in our mind we'd be pondering, what does this mean? And this is exactly what Jesus was intending to do. He was causing the stories that, that those who heard them or we who read them now, he was causing people to ponder and to think, wondering what on earth does Jesus mean by the story? And sometimes when, when you're like this, when you're thinking about something like I was last night, your brain is just going and it's, it's searching for, for something. Suddenly, sometimes at 3 a.m. in the morning, you suddenly alert, alert and you wake up and you suddenly know what that story was about or you know what that thing is and you have a life-changing aha moment. And in these weeks that follow, as we look at these stories that Jesus told, our prayer is that Jesus would would activate the search engine in your brain and that you would, you would get to grips with these questions each week that, that, that are contained in each of these stories and the messages that are around them and that you would have an aha moment week after week as you get to know more about Jesus and the faith that He's called us to have. Amen. And so today as we start, we're really gonna start with such a small parable that you might need a magnifying glass to find it. It is literally just this uh, short sentence, and this is it. This is the whole parable. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field so that he can have the treasure. Who of you have ever found a treasure in a field? I can tell you this is my second wedding ring, not because I've been married twice, but because I lost the first one, and I can tell you where it is. It's somewhere on the Mamsam Toady Rugby Club first team field. It was gold. Its replacement was just silver. Uh, uh, I was playing touch rugby. It was, a, it was a cold day, and as I passed the ball, the, 
the, the, the ring just went flying like that, and I never found it. In the grass, I got everyone to check for it, but someone cutting the grass has no doubt found it. If you want to go, you can go, you can go now, you can go and try and find it, but it was a couple of years, years ago. It was actually on election day, not this last election, but the election before that I was looking for it. I'd lost it the night before. Well, maybe you haven't found a treasure in a field. Dave, can you give that back? <laughs> I'm joking. I feel kind of naked without this one, so... It's probably not that common that you, you find a treasure in a field these days, but in the days that Jesus was telling, this is maybe not that uncommon. You see, they didn't really have banks, and war was common. And so maybe there was a wealthy person, and they heard that there was an encroaching army coming, and, and there wasn't a bank to deposit in, and the city was probably going to get burned, and so maybe he rushed off into the field and dug a, dug a hole and, and put some of his possessions in and closed it up and tried to remember where it was and then rushed off to defend. And, and if that guy died, then that treasure would remain before he even had a chance to tell anyone where it was. And so centuries later or even decades later, if someone else came upon, upon that treasure, if they owned the field, then that treasure would be theirs. And that's kind of the idea that Jesus has as he tells the story. And you might think, well, thank you, Jesus, for that really short story. But what does it mean? What on earth does that mean? That is the whole story. And so your brain's search engine can be going round and round and round. And I want to spare you thinking till 3 a.m., so I would rather preach and to tell you something of what the story means this morning. And so what the story means is really three things. The first thing is that the treasure of the kingdom, which is what Jesus is talking about, the treasure of the kingdom is hidden in the midst of ordinariness. In the midst of ordinary life is the treasure of the kingdom. Just think about treasure stuck in a field. Soil out there is ordinary. Treasure is extraordinary. Who would ever think that you'd find treasure hidden in the midst of ordinary mud and dirt? But that is where this treasure was hidden and where it was found. Just think of some things, three things that are uh, extraordinary things hidden in the midst of ordinary things. Think about Jesus 2,000 years ago. You know, none of us could choose the day or the hour or the place that we were born. We didn't have anything to do with that. But the Son of God could choose the moment in history and the place in history that He was going to be born. And He could have been born in the super capital city of Rome, but He chose a tiny town in kind of the armpit of the Roman Empire to get born. And He could have had Caesar as His dad, but He chose a humble, ordinary carpenter to be His dad instead. He could have been a super elevated human being, elevated above the hassles of everyday life. But instead, Jesus at times is just like us because he's hungry, he's homeless, he's heartbroken, and he's lonely. And when he enters Jerusalem, Jesus is not driving the war horse of a Porsche, but he's driving on the donkey of a foxy. He is so ordinary. He's just an ordinary person. 2,000 odd years ago. No wonder people struggled to believe that he was the creator clothed in flesh. He just looked like an ordinary 
human being, much like Isaiah prophesied that he would be. And yet, of course, Jesus Christ is not ordinary. He is the extraordinary one. He is the eternal God made flesh. He is the one who's come to take away the sins of the world as we sang today. He's the one to come for the one, even though he leaves the 99. He's come to launch his eternal kingdom on the earth that will swallow up every other kingdom and a kingdom that will increase and go on and on till the end of the ages. But the point is that he hides his extraordinariness in really ordinary circumstances and in a really ordinary looking person. So think about Jesus. You've got the extraordinary hidden in the ordinary, just like this treasure. It's extraordinary hidden in a field. Think about the church of Jesus Christ. You know, people come to church and maybe I I, I saw there were some hands up this morning, five or so people visiting our church today. I hope you're not underwhelmed by us because we're pretty ordinary. We're not that extraordinary. Maybe you've looked around at the people around you. Just don't look at them right now. But maybe you're thinking in your heart of hearts, some of them are a little bit funny. Not just dressing funny. They are funny. They're a little bit awkward. I mean, I met one guy this morning, and when I heard his name, I told him my second name. How weird is that? Some of them are socially awkward. Some of them might, over tea or coffee, you might hear they've got some interesting perspectives. Maybe these people haven't done particularly well in their careers. Maybe they're not even employed today. Have you seen those kids when they went out, how rowdy they were? You might be tempted to think, coming into a church, these people are not particularly exceptional. I thought that if I found the people of God, I would find something a little bit more extraordinary than this. But hidden within the ordinary are the extraordinary. Now, if you're part of Rec Road, just in case you're feeling a little bit ordinary right now, you maybe even feel a little bit dissed or demeaned as a member of this church, I want to say to you, that's not how I see you as one of your pastors, as one of your elders, when I look on you. Because God's opened my eyes to see you for who you really are, to see you as the scriptures describe you. I know about your problems, or at least some of them. I know that some of you are still unwisely dabbling in compromise and sin. I know that all of us, including me, are works in progress and there's a long way to go. But when I look over you and when I think of you and I pray for you, what I see is the body of Jesus Christ, the hands and feet and fingers, as Diolan said, of Jesus Christ in the world. When I look on you, I see the bride of Jesus Christ that Jesus is coming back for, the ones who have in all of human history been chosen to be in closest proximity with Jesus for the rest of eternity. When I see you, I see the temple of the Holy Spirit, the very people in whom God has chosen to dwell, not in some building, but in your life. When I see you, I see the children of Almighty God, the ones who've been adopted by Him and are enjoying His love and His favor. When I see you, for all those on the Get Connected course, I see the agents of God who've been activated in the world to do His purposes. Friends, 
you might look ordinary, but you're an extraordinary bunch of people, according to Scripture. Give yourselves a round of applause. And thirdly, when I'm thinking of the ordinary and the extraordinary hidden inside of it, just like this treasure in a field, and you think about the gospel, in a country like ours where there have been many millennia, uh, there's been many centuries of, uh, of the Christian gospel and churches, Christianity's been around a long time, and so sometimes the message of Jesus can seem a little bit ordinary and commonplace. And so if you asked, if you went to the Galleria today and you asked anyone at the Galleria, who is Jesus or do you believe in God, you, you'd probably have so, many people saying, yes, no, I believe in Jesus. He kind of came at Christmas and died at Easter. And many in our nation, in fact, probably most, the overwhelming majority in our nation, they're not opposed to the idea of God, the big man upstairs, but they are numbed by the ordinariness of it all. And maybe even they or you today might be God-fearing. You, you actually have a sense of that, that we should revere and respect God, but there's little more than that really. And so the ordinary of the gospel and the familiarity obscures the extraordinariness of it. And yet there are times in my life as a church leader, it's one of the best moments being a church leader. It happened just the other night, uh, about two months ago, here in this building, one Tuesday night. Sometimes you get to see someone who kind of just saw Jesus as ordinary, saw the gospel as ordinary, knew a little bit about, and suddenly you see their eyes get open. And their whole life changes in a moment. And suddenly what just was, yeah, yeah I, I know that, I know that story. And suddenly it's like, wow, I've never seen it like that before. What had been bland and irrelevant in an instant when Jesus opens their eyes to see the extraordinariness of him and his grace and his love, suddenly he takes their breath away. And they are never, ever the same again. Friends, for many people, the majority at the Galleria today, right now, for many, the gospel is hidden in the dirt of ordinariness. People know enough about the gospel to not really care about it at all. And what happens to people when they can only see the ordinariness about Jesus well, they're like the hundreds of people that Jesus doesn't tell you about in the story. He tells you about one person who discovers the treasure. But what about the hundreds and hundreds of people that had probably walked right past that treasure and had never seen it? All those people who had walked right past the treasure, kind of even bumping, kicking, oh, what's that? Oh, I don't know. And kind of carrying on. Jesus doesn't tell you about all of those people. And yet all of those people in that moment that they stumbled on something and walked on, they missed the very point of their whole existence. They missed the ultimate reality and will be lost forever. Friend, if that's you this morning, if you know something of God but you don't really know God as your personal Savior, don't be the guy or the girl who stumbles over treasure and walks on. Stop. Stop and investigate.
And if you're on a journey towards faith in Christ, you're in a good place. And we want to welcome you into this church. We want to say, this is a good place to find out about the treasure who is Jesus Christ. And so we want to say, you're most welcome. And if you want to know him today, your eyes can be opened in a moment. And God will save you and he will become your greatest treasure. Which leads me to my second point from this passage. The treasure in this passage is more precious than anything else. When you see the real value of the treasure, who is Jesus, you will be smitten. You, you will, you'll be lost for anything else but to give your whole life for this one thing. His kingdom, His salvation will take your breath away. And this is what happened to this man. You know, he woke up that morning, no doubt, and he was into certain things. I don't know what he was into in Palestine 2,000 odd years ago, but he was into certain things. So just think about yourself. You woke up this morning and you're into certain things. Maybe he was a career guy. He was into his career. Or maybe he was a real family man. He's into his family. Or maybe he had a, a wife and he doted over her. He, he was a loving husband. He was, he was really, I love my wife. Or maybe he was single and he was chasing the girl of his dreams. Or maybe he was into sport in a major way. Unlike all of us South African cricketers that aren't into that cricket so much anymore. Maybe he was into sport. Or maybe he had some pursuit in his life that really had his attention. Or maybe he had some recreation that kind of took up all of his thought time. When he woke up in the, in the morning, that morning, all these ordinary things held his attention. Attention. But once he bumped his toe on this treasure, once he started to get his hands on this treasure, he was suddenly taken, he was smitten by something that was new. And everything else that used to be important to him when he woke up that morning wasn't that important to him anymore. His pulse had never raced like this before. His future had never seemed brighter. He could see the value of this treasure that he had found. And suddenly this thing was worth more to him than anything else that he'd ever held before. How do we know that? Well, we know that he happily gave up. In this one verse, Jesus says, he gave up all that he had so that he could have this one treasure. What is Jesus trying to tell us through this? When you get your eyes, when you get your hands when, you get, when I take up your preoccupation, when, when you understand who I am, I will become an extraordinary treasure to you that will supersede and overwhelm every other thing you've ever longed for or valued. I wonder what your treasure is right now, this morning. I wonder what your real treasure is. And don't be too quick to say Jesus. I'll give you three tests. Here are three tests to know what your real treasure is. The first test, we'll do this privately, okay? We're not going to put the results on the screen. Okay, the first test is called the solitude test. If you really want to know what you treasure, if you really want to know what your, your real God is, where does your mind go when you are alone? When you have quiet times of solitude, if you're a parent, you, you haven't had that for a couple of years, okay, so you just have to imagine, but, but where does your mind go when, you've got, when you don't have to think about anything else? What, what do you start to daydream about? Where can your mind go? Where does your mind go when, 
when it doesn't have to go anywhere in particular? What do you fantasize about effortlessly? That's the solitude test. What, what really has your attention? What really has your mind? The second test is the nightmare test. The nightmare test is what is it in your life that if you were to lose it, it would mean you'd rather just throw yourself off the bridge than lose that thing. I can lose lots of things, but I cannot lose this thing. Don't take this thing from me because then it's not worth living. Life's not worth living. What is it that would be your greatest nightmare to lose? And the third test, trying to understand what's your treasure, is the bartering with God test. Have you ever been really desperate for something that you've been praying for? You've prayed something like this, oh God, I'll give you my life if you will just give me this. You've never prayed like that, hey? Lord, I'll give you everything. Just give me her. <laughs> Been there, done that. If you would just give me the, whatever it is for you, the girl, the promotion, if you'll stop me from losing my job, if you'll let my kid excel in school, if you'll let me win the match. You see, whatever you put into that prayer, that's really what your treasure is. God's just one who you're going to to ask you to give you your treasure. So what is your heart's treasure today? Is it really Jesus or is it earthly? Is Jesus just a genie who gives you what you want? You see, many of us follow Christ, but he's not really our treasure yet. Something else still is that treasure. You see, it's easy to have your heart's treasure still in the things of this world. And you basically come to God in prayer to say, God, what do I have to do for you to give me these things? What do I have to do for you so that you will answer my prayers, so that I will have my career, that I'll have my friends, that I'll have my health, that I'll have my good looks, or that I'll get good looks, or so that I'll have my family, or so that I'll be married, or so that I'll have children. What do I have to do? Friends, I think this is how many people pray. We come to God and we're kind of bartering with God. We're saying, God, what do I have to do for you to do what I want you to do for me? But friends, that's not following Jesus Christ. Because basically what you're saying is, God, I'll do something for you if you do this for me. And a person like this is almost always grumpy because you're engaging with God in a certain way which shows that God doesn't really have your heart. He's not your treasure. He's the thing you're looking to to give you your treasure. The other thing's your treasure. He isn't really your treasure yet. He's just the means to get your treasure. Maybe you've been trying to serve God this way and there's no joy in it. It's just duty, and there's no delight. The only way to follow Christ that brings joy is not that way. The only way to follow Christ that brings power, that flows with power, is to realize that Jesus is the most precious treasure, that he is the one that you really need and the one you want. 
And when you realize that, everything changes. In, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, which is the treasure. Seek first the kingdom, which is me. I'm the king of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. And all these things, these things aren't bad things, but I'll give them to you when you, when you make me your treasure. But I want to be your treasure. Have you realized that? Thirdly, from this parable, from this little story, we learn that when we really see what the treasure is, it makes us happy to go all in. Now, this is kind of a gambling metaphor. You know, sometimes you think, I've got so, such good cards. I'm going to put all my money in now. This is, this is the moment. I'm not saying you should gamble if you took that. Jesus is telling us in the story that once this man discovers the treasure, it says this, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and he bought that field. And it wasn't the field that was so important, it was the treasure that was in the field. And so you could say this man went all in, in this moment that he sees the treasure, he covers it up and he, he makes a decision in that moment, I'm going all in, I'm gonna sell everything I have to get this field so I can get the treasure. He holds nothing back. And just look in Scripture at how miserable this man was at this, at this moment. He, it says there, in his sadness, he went and he sold all that he had to buy that field. He was miserable because he had to give everything up. No, that's not what it says. What it says is he went all in, he sold all that he had because of the joy that he had seen that it was the treasure in the field. Imagine. You've spent the last decade, I, I've tried once or twice to have a wine collection, I haven't done particularly well at that. But imagine you have been collecting wine bottles because you've just, you've just loved the whole concept of collecting wine and you've, you've created the cellar and you've collected wine over many years and you've spent thousands of hours of working out all the different things and the right temperature to have and you've got all these bottles and you know all about this wine. And, and just imagine you've spent 200,000 buying that wine and storing it properly. It's the most precious thing you have. Or maybe you're not really into that. And maybe you're really into a dream holiday. And you've been fantasizing over this dream holiday. I can see some smiles now. I can see there's a, there's a dream holiday right there. I'm, I'm tempted to come and ask you. But maybe you've been thinking about this dream holiday. And for years and years, you've just been putting away money, putting away money, because you're going to have that dream holiday. Or maybe you're wanting to buy a, a build a house. I know that's true for many people in the room right now. And all you want to do is build that house, and it's taken you ages and ages and ages. And you've decided, I'm not going to do what's often done. I'm not going to build a foundation like Rec Road did. And four years later, build walls up to here. And four years later... <laughs> You're not going to build like that. You'd rather save up all the money and you're just going to build in one go. And you've been saving and saving and saving. And now you've got enough to build that house. And just, just imagine for a moment that you're married and you and your spouse have been trying to have kids. And you've prayed and prayed and asked God to give you a child. But after four years, you realize we need help. And so you go to a specialist, you know, specialist in these things. And the specialist says to you, you have a very unique problem, but for 200,000 rand, I can guarantee you that I can solve that problem and you will have a child. 
Now, let's say you have no other money at all, but you've got this wine collection, or you've got the savings for the dream holiday, or you've got the savings for your house. Of course, there's some sadness in letting go of that dream holiday, or realizing I'm not going to be building the house right now, or I'm selling all the wine collection. But the moment you have the baby in your arms, it's not sadness, it's pure joy. Amen? Are you grieving in that moment, in your loss? No, you're delighting in your joy. It was hardly a sacrifice. It was a joy to go all in because now look at this life that you have. You see, it's relative. The guy in Jesus' parable, let's just say he had 100,000 rand in his assets that he needed to buy this field. But he gives it all up for a treasure. Maybe it's worth 10 billion rand, that treasure. He, he, has to, he has to sell 100,000 rands worth of stuff, but he gets a treasure of value far greater. And so what he has to pay, which is a big price, is a small price compared to the massive value of the treasure that he's got. And so what he gets swallows up what he had to give to get it. You see, the point that Jesus is making here is that the true value of the treasure is what makes you happy to go all in, to get that treasure. So what does it mean for a Christ follower? Maybe you're following Jesus this morning. What would it mean? This guy sold all he had to go all in, to get the treasure. What would it mean to go all in for you as a Christ follower? I think it can mean at least three things. One, I think it means, and many of us have already had moments like this, it, it, it means having a defining moment or moments. Sometimes there's more than one. Just like the man in Jesus' story, there's a moment where you decide, I'm all in. I'm going to follow Jesus with everything that I've got because you've seen the treasure in front of you. You've seen Jesus Christ. And so I believe that being a Christ follower means that there'll be defining moments in your life. Just like that man uh, on a Tuesday night here uh, up, upstairs, and in a moment, he just realized what he needed. And his heart was opened. Like Lydia, whose heart, the Bible says, was opened in a moment. I believe we'll have defining moments if you're a Christ follower where you suddenly realize I want to surrender all that I am to get this treasure of immeasurable, extraordinary worth. So the question is this morning, have you ever done that? Have you ever reached the moment where you suddenly realize who, who Jesus really is and the treasure that he's offering you, the treasure of the kingdom, and you decide I'm all in? It's gonna require everything for me to obtain this treasure. Friends, there are so many Christ followers out there who, who kind of, well, I'll, I'll put a hundred rand on it, but you're holding the rest back. I want to say to you, don't just put a little bit in. Don't, don't just say, well, I'll kind of see if Jesus is okay. No, no, no. He is worth your whole life. He's worth everything. Now, there are very few of us who will be called by God to give up everything that we have, sell everything we have, and go to some far-off land to, to spread the gospel of Jesus, then, then there will be some of us who might be called to that sort of thing. Nadine and I, God called us to leave Cape Town, what used to be the promised land, now Toti is the promised land. God told us to leave that, to sell, so that we could come and serve Him here. But God might not ask you to do that. But people who have been asked to give up much like that, they shouldn't frighten us they should inspire us. And I want to tell you the story quickly 
of a bunch of Christ followers who did this. A century ago, there was a band of Christ followers that went all in. They became known as the one-way missionaries because they purchased one-way tickets to the mission field in the South Pacific. Instead of packing suitcases, they packed their earthly belongings, listen to this, in coffins. True story. Because they were going to come back in a coffin, having given their whole life for Jesus. True story. You can go read it. And so as they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to everyone that they loved and everything they knew. And they knew they would never return home except in this coffin. And one of the guys was A.W. Milne, and he set sails for the, sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing that the people he was going to were cannibals. They used to chop off your head and keep your head as an ornament. And so every person who had gone to them as a missionary before, they didn't come back. They had been killed by this tribe. But Milne didn't hold on to his life. He was willing to give his life. And so with his coffin packed, he went to the New Hebrides, but he was not eaten, hallelujah. And so for 35 years, he lived amongst these people, and he loved them so that one day when he did die with them, he was buried in the middle of their village, and on his tombstone, this is what the people wrote. When he came here, there was no light, and when he left, there was no darkness, this guy was all in, in following Jesus, and he's inspiring. Can you agree with me? Friend, you are only one decision away from living a totally different life. Not a life where you, you're kind of bartering with God, but a life where you've seen the treasure of Jesus, and you've decided, I'm all in, like Milne was. And so if you have the courage to completely surrender your life, there's no telling what God will do through you. But one thing I can tell you from this parable is that you will not be sorry that you laid down your life for Jesus Christ. You will not be sorry that you had to sell everything, that you had to relinquish your heart's desire for everything and give it to Jesus. Secondly, what does it mean to be all in as a Christ follower? I think it means you'll care less about what other people think of you. You know, when this man was selling all of his stuff and he bumped into people and obviously he didn't want to tell them that there's treasure in the field because that would kind of raise the price of the field, okay? But he's selling everything. He must have had friends and family saying, what are you doing? You know, you were going to get married in a few years or don't you need a house to live in, mate? You know, you need that, you, you, you need that donkey to plow the field or, you know, why are you selling everything? He must have looked stupid to them. They had no idea that there was a treasure hidden in that field. And you know, people around us who don't know Jesus, who haven't seen the treasure, they can think, what are you doing here listening to him on a Sunday morning? What are you doing? Why, why do you give up 10% of your money? You know, you get paid, the, the taxman takes a whole lot, and then now, now, now they want you to give some more. Well, what, why would you do that? Why would you spend Wednesday night when you're so tired? Why would you meet with a bunch of silly Christians in a little home? Why would you do that? Why if you're a man, you're a man, get up early on a Wednesday morning and come and pray, you ugly thing. 
There's like five or ten of us on a Wednesday morning. What about the rest of you? And your neighbors can say, why do you get up early in the morning? What's the point? Friends, if people don't know Jesus, they won't get what you're doing. Because they haven't seen the treasure. And you've got to be willing to look foolish for what is actually very wise. And thirdly, what does it mean to be a Christ follower and to go all in? It means you'll be happy to give to the cause of Christ your time, your talents, and your treasures. This guy, A.W. Milne, gave up his home. He gave up the people that he loved. He was willing to relinquish his whole life for the sake of Christ. Are we willing to relinquish all for the sake of Christ? Most of us get to keep the things that Milne had to give up. Most of us get to keep, we, we get to stay where we, where we live. We don't have to leave all of our loved ones. We, we, we don't have to pack up our stuff in a coffin. You know what? We're not selling coffins outside later. Most of us don't have to do that. But what we should do in the very least is we should give generously of our time. We should give generously of our talents and we should give generously of our treasure. In terms of our time, you know, being part of, uh, uh, being a Christ follower means investing your time, building intentional, deep relationships. Relationships that are characterized by challenge and accountability. Taking time to meet with trios or to be in a community group. Some of you are still not in a community group. Why are you not in a community group? There should be no one in this church who's not in a trio or a community group. I want to implore you to invest your time so that the kingdom of God can advance. I want to encourage you to spend your time reaching out to people who don't yet know Jesus Christ so that you can develop sincere friendships and you can invite them for meals and over time they can get to know Jesus through bumping up with you. Friends, when we've seen the treasure of Jesus, we're happy to give our time because our hearts and our eyes are on the treasure. We also give of our treasure by taking the hard-earned cash that we've earned. The Bible's not against wealth. It's just about whether your heart, whether that's really your treasure or how you use that wealth for what is your treasure. So when Jesus became Zacchaeus' treasure, he joyfully gives up half of all of his stuff. He repays people that he had defrauded, and he pours money into the kingdom of God. Jesus, in, in the story with Zacchaeus, he's not showing that money is bad, but that Jesus is infinitely better. And so when you see the kingdom as precious, as valuable, you see lesser things as dingy, and their sparkle is lost. So when you begin to see Jesus as your treasure, you do what Jesus says, and you stop storing up treasures on earth, and you rather invest treasures in heaven. How do you do that? Well, you do that by laying up treasure in heaven, by tithing faithfully and being generous at every opportunity as God leads you to. I want to encourage you to do that. And lastly, your talents. We have all been given amazing talents. We have all been given gifts and abilities that we're meant to use to do the work of Christ in and through this church, in this community, and this land. And the reason we serve in and through the church is because we're passionate about Jesus, because he's our treasure. 
So many of you lead small groups, you serve children, you serve coffee, you get stuck in in all sorts of church initiatives to reach Jesus. Why do you do this? You do this because your treasure is Jesus. That's why you do it. You don't do it because someone asked you or because you have to or because it's expected. You do it because you love Him. You do it as worship to Him. You know, this week I met with uh, someone in this church, I won't say who she is, and uh, she's joining this church, Get Connected is finishing tomorrow night. Uh, she's joining this church at the moment. And do you know why she's joining this church? Eric, please stand up. Because we're into that this morning. And Ignatius is outside. He's standing up already. Do you know why she's joining our church? Because you put up the flag on the corner, which is Reconciliation Road Church. And she drove past, seeing it go up, and so was able to Google it. And find our church and start coming and God started doing a work in her life. Well done for taking your time and just doing a simple, meaningless, ordinary thing. And God does an extraordinary thing. Amen. So let's bring it to a close. In telling us this story, Jesus is getting us thinking. What is my real treasure? And in this story, we've heard three things. Jesus, the treasure of Jesus and his kingdom is hidden amongst ordinary things. The extraordinary is right there in the midst of the ordinary. Secondly, this treasure is more precious than anything else in all creation. And therefore, thirdly, it's worth giving your all to obtain it. And we're about to break bread. And there's one more way of looking at this parable, which might be surprising. It's like a twist in the tail. And this last thing doesn't diminish or unravel anything that we've just said, but it does take it to a new level. Here's the last way of looking at this parable. You're the treasure. Jesus is the man who finds the treasure. Your life is just hidden in dirt and ordinariness. Most people can't see your profound value, but Jesus did. He knows that you are made in the image of God. He knows that sin has shattered that image in you, and he leaves heaven to come and rescue you and put you back together again and make you whole so that you can be in right relationship with him forever. And so he comes and he does what people can't understand and he lives an ordinary life. The angels must have been wondering what was going on and as he came and he died on a cross, people thought this was just an ordinary criminal. This was a rebel on the cross, but this was Jesus dying in your place for your sin so that he could rescue you. And as we close today, I want you to know that you are the apple of Jesus' eye. You are the one that as he looked at the cross, Hebrews says, when he thought about the cross and all that the cross would mean, and he thought about you, he decided this was worth you. And he decided to pursue, to go through the cross, to go through its shame. He scorned on its shame because he saw you on the other side, knowing that he could save you and rescue you and that you would be his forever. Isn't that amazing grace? As we sang this morning, I want to ask us to, to close this morning, just in a moment of worship. And so what I want you to do is, 
to come quickly to these tables. Do not talk. Can we do this in silence? Let's, let's get the elements and let's come back to our, back to our seats and then I'm just going to pray over us and we're going to break bread together as we remember that Jesus sees us as worth dying for and he was willing to go all in for us. So let's go all in for him. Let's, let's stand quickly and let's uh, come and get the elements. Some people can break the bread and then if you come back to your seats and then we'll partake of communion as we close. his treasure. Just waiting for some guys still at the back. If you've run out of, uh, there's some, there's still more grape juice over there. You're okay. Let's just be patient. I urge you to close your eyes and to just thank Jesus. Maybe as I was preaching earlier, you felt, sure, I've really done that. I've not just valued Jesus for who he is, but I've kind of looked to Jesus to give me the stuff I really want. And if that's you this morning, why don't you just say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for treating you like that when actually you are the treasure. You're not the giver of treasure, you are the treasure. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. I can't think of a better time and place than to do that right now. The Bible says if you believe that Jesus is God, that God raised him from the dead, that means he must have died and rose again. You believe that. You ask him to forgive you of your sin. He will forgive you and you'll be saved. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe you've known of God, but you've never known him yourself. And if you know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, why don't you just decide again to go all in? He's worthy of not just some of your attention, but of all of your attention. Love him back with all of your heart, knowing he's the one who gave everything to love you because you're his treasure. So Lord Jesus, we worship you this morning. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the treasure that is you. Thank you, Lord God, that you are worthy of all our praise. You're worthy of our whole lives, Lord. You're worthy of us giving, going all in. You're worthy of it, Lord. You're worthy of it. 
we just declare that as we break bread now, we say thank you for showing us yourself. Thank you for dying on the cross for us and so that we could see you for who you really are and we could come to know and love you as our treasure. Let's take the bread together.